Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with WFIU-WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. And today we're going to talk about the uh, bombing at the Boston Marathon and the events that have followed. I want to uh, – oh, go ahead. Oh, I thought you were going to introduce everybody. Uh, I'm going to introduce everybody. Sarah's grabbing my stuff. (laughs) I want to introduce our guest. Leah Siegel is here. She is a runner who ran at the Boston Marathon. And also Chris Muir is here. He was in Boston this week. He's a graduate student at the IU uh, biology department. Leah is a law student. We're also going to be joined by Scott Friedline, Friedline. who is Emergency Services Coordinator for the Illinois Marathon. And Sarah wants to we, – we're going to um, – we know that there's a lot of news breaking today, so we're going we're gonna to have to go to that news, Sarah. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we want to first just offer our condolences to all the people in Boston, and it's a fluid situation there. And as events continue to unfold, even as we speak, and if we do get some news of an arrest or something, we will be breaking away for that. Um, we want you to know at this point – One of the two young brothers suspected in the marathon bombings is dead after a shootout with police. The other brothers at large and police are doing a door-to-door search in Watertown. The entire city of Boston is still in lockdown. In today's program, we're going to focus on race security in light of the bombings this week at the Boston Marathon. But we'll continue to update you as news comes in. So let's start our conversation in studio with Leah and Chris. Right. And if you want to join us, you can call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also uh, join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. So Leah and Chris, you were in Boston. It's uh, Obviously, it's a a huge event this week. And uh, can you just start out by telling us where – where were you? I know both of you had finished before the bombs went off, but uh, Chris, why don't we start with you? Uh, yeah, by the time that the bombs had gone off, it had been about an hour since I finished, and I'd slowly made my way through the uh, finish shoot and all that. And then I was walking back with my um, fiance, some friends, um, mom who was there, and we were walking over to a, a Cambridge Brewing Company to get some beer, and that's actually when we uh, found out about the uh, the bombing because we just ran into someone on the street who was asking us about it and told us about it. And that was uh, the first that we'd heard or known anything that had happened. So, mm-hmm. Leah, how about you? Sure. I uh, wasn't quite as quick as Chris crossing the line, but I was about 55 minutes before the explosion occurred. Um, I had met up with my best friend and teammate from college and actually – I'm not an incredibly emotional person, but we both sort of broke out in, in tears of joy after having this amazing experience. And um, later, I met up with my mom and my aunt, and we were walking as far away from the finish line as we could just because of the amount of people and the, the traffic and the road closures. And we're getting in a cab, and we just heard an insane amount of um, emergency responders and sirens. And um, when the cab driver turned on the radio, that's when we first heard the news. Mm-hmm. So, what, I mean, what were what were your thoughts, your immediate thoughts? I mean, you'd gone from uh, just completing this amazing accomplishment. It was both of your first times in Boston. You, yeah. you told mm-hmm. told us uh, this amazing accomplishment, and then now you have to sort of deal with this idea that hey, there, some people are hurt and even dead. Yeah, I mean, my first reaction was all we heard was that there had been bombs, and we didn't. I didn't had no idea what the scale was at that point. Whether it was you know firecrackers or, you know, like a really big type explosion. So uh, I was really worried about what the scale of it was. And then when we got to the restaurant, it totally changed the mood because everything was up on TV. And, you know, I was really just in the mood to go celebrate, have a few beers, talk with my friends and family there. And it um, it totally changed the mood about that because at this point, you know, we we're just learning about, you know, people dying, people injured. And at this point, also didn't know whether there were going to be more bombs because they were still searching potentially for more more things. So we didn't know what the scale was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really just sort of an out-of-body experience. I think I, I first felt it in my stomach just sort of flipped. Um, 
you know, we we went back to the hotel and I felt so far away from where the explosion occurred. And I don't think things really set in, you know, how close we were to it, um, how much time we spent in that area in the days leading up to it until I, I got home. And, and so many people are saying, I'm so glad that you're safe. And that's when it really, I think, has started to hit me. Mm-hmm. All right. We also have on the phone with us uh, Scott Friedline. Scott? How are we doing today? Hey, we're doing fine. And Scott is Emergency Services Coordinator for the Illinois Marathon. So, uh, you know, when, when you saw these events unfolding, I mean, what were your thoughts? Well, it's kind of interesting. I'm a former police officer, and, and my first reaction was to contact the police agencies I work with and make sure we started immediately with some planning activities, knowing that there would be a direct impact on our event as, as you know, as it was coming up so soon. Yeah, when is your event? Ours is next weekend. Next weekend. Okay. Yes. And I know the Illinois Marathon is a Boston qualifier and considered among the top ten in terms of a qualifier because it's flat, it's fast, and a lot of runners from our area, I'm sure, will be going. So what will you be doing to ensure runners are safe? Well, we've been doing a lot of review of what we've had in place. Uh, we've, we've, we're fairly comfortable with our plans, but obviously when you have something like this occur, you really um, reevaluate, beef up. Uh, you know, we did things in the past that were just normal, and now we're actually, you know, adding additional resources, uh, looking at bomb dogs, creating some procedural changes for participants, uh, looking at how we have traffic and, and uh, participants and spectators, uh, as well as, you know, uh, anybody else who might be in the area moving through the area just to enhance as much security as we can. How important is it, though, and you in the studio, feel free to chime in, to differentiate between these marathons, though, because Boston is like this holy grail almost where you have half a million spectators. And not to diminish anything about Illinois, I hear it's a great race, but it doesn't, it's not of that scale. Correct. I mean, we do draw, uh, in terms of total participants, about 20,000 you know, people in the various races. Uh, it is not a Boston. There is no doubt. I mean, obviously Boston has a prestige that no other uh, race uh, would have. I mean, it's just it's the godfather of, of uh, you know, marathon racing. So um, from our standpoint, you know, we look at that as well and say, okay, we do need to ramp up our services, make sure that the security is there. But it's still, you know, the, the risk factor is not as great as something like a Boston. And Leah and Chris, when we're talking about security, do you all have any concerns about increased security at races in terms of spectators and accessibility to, to people who are lining up to watch you run? You know, I, I really don't. I think running events are so unique in the fact that it's covering, well, especially a marathon, it's covering 26.2 miles of ground, um, public sidewalks, and with Boston especially, I mean, at this point, sitting sitting here in this chair today, I can't foresee another time in my life where there will be thousands of people cheering for me for three and a half hours straight, um, unless something amazing happens. Um, and that's just such a cool thing that I can try as hard as I can, but it's really inexplicable. Um, and I don't think the fear of something like this happening again is enough to quite overcome that. It's just a race that's been done for years and years and years and is just such an inspirational and an amazing experience. And I, I don't really see how ultimately, for especially for a major race like Boston, that you can ever completely secure it and keep it, keep it an open spectator sport uh, and, and open in public spaces like it is. So, you know, I think we'll find out what the motives were of these people when they catch them, but um, it seems like this attack had much more to do with the fact that this is a high-profile thing where lots of people were, not something specific to marathons or anything like that. So I think, you know, especially for other lower-profile races, the atmosphere is going to continue to be similar to what it has always been. And hopefully um, at these big races, we can also find a way to to balance security with maintaining the atmosphere uh, that makes a big race like that really fun. Let me give our phone numbers again if you want to call us. We're talking with uh, Leah Siegel and Chris Muir, both who ran in the Boston Marathon. They're both uh, IU students and 
Uh, both are here in the studio with us, and Scott Friedline, who's Emergency Services Coordinator for the Illinois Marathon, which is coming up next weekend. If you want to join us, call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And Scott, while you're still online, I want to ask how how do you maintain how do you balance those two the accessibility for spectators and then also just uh, allowing runners to be safe as well when you are, as Leah said, covering twenty six point two miles. Well, yeah, and as a special events manager of other events, you know, emergency services-wise, 26 miles of venue is, is a huge venue to cover it. What we really do is we focus our attention, as I'm sure they did in Boston, on key areas where the largest of your groups are going to gather. Uh, our marathon, like a lot of others, will have spectators all the way around uh, the course itself. I mean, there's very few spots you can't be running and not see somebody there cheering you on. So um, the thing I like about this is that it is truly a community-based event. Uh, our community comes out and supports it. Um, the the fact that Boston occurred has not deterred. As a matter of fact, I think it's really enhanced the the bonds of runners. Um, and we've seen just an incredible response since Boston. Uh, very few people who've expressed any kind of concern. The vast majority are saying, "Hey, I want to be there to show the the level of freedom I have to be able to do these types of things." And and as uh, emergency services coordinator and all of our police agencies, we're going to support that as much as we can, uh, without creating such huge distractions that it makes it uncomfortable for people. You, you said that you all have about 20,000 runners or participants who are there. Um, do you have a, a cap that's put on the race, do you know? Or, and Are you seeing uh, uh, more people who want to run because of what happened? Actually, this is our fifth year. We've continually grown each year. This year, we will. We are expecting to, to exceed that twenty thousand mark, which will be slightly above what we had last year. Um, as far as caps, we do have caps on these races. Um, our, our marathon, for example, is capped at three thousand. Um, Starting the morning on on Saturday, when we have both the marathon and half marathon, we'll have approximately fifteen thousand runners uh, at or near the starting line um, between the half marathon and the full marathon, and then we have a ten k that starts about thirty minutes after the other two events go off. So, um, it hasn't slowed anything down. I, I think again, it's really created a bond for our community, and you know, for us in this marathon, about eighty five to ninety percent of our runners are in state runners. Um, so they come to the state of Illinois, uh, and then the rest are from all over the country and, and several foreign countries. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sitting here with three marathoners, and, and, I, and but I, I've actually ran a couple of half marathons, so you know I do understand. Oh. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while ago. It's been a few pounds ago, but um, but I think you know one of the things that you, you're talking about and Scott's talking about is that this is a, these kinds of events are events where the the crowd is all part of it. I mean, the crowd is there. There are bands along the way. There are people who are high-fiving you that you've never seen in your life. There are people who are cheering for you and and all of that. And it, it just seems like uh, this, you know, to have something like this happen at Boston, which is the the pinnacle of all that, is is really tragic. But it, it uh, you know, you can't separate, I don't believe, the crowds. You can't put a bunch of marathoners in uh, you know, the Gladstein Fieldhouse and have them run, you know, quarter-mile laps for 26 miles. Can't. I just, wouldn't sign up for that one. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you, you can't do that. So, the, you know, the crowds are going to be part of it. So, And I think well, it's like important. Here, I know when we first started our event, uh, we had several people in the community saying, well, why don't you just have them run 13 miles out into the country and turn around and come back? And that's not what these events are about either. I mean, it really is a sense of community and showing off the community and, and being part of that community and the community supporting those individuals who come into to the event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's it's so important for the crowd to be a part of it. You know, in Boston, I had my my mom, my aunt, and my friend who were able to see me at two different points during the race, which I was so grateful for, and that was really exciting. But I also felt like all of the thousands of fans were cheering for me. Um, it, it did feel like a very personal thing, and, and it just wouldn't be the same without having that. Yeah, I, I agree. The first marathon I ever ran was in Mallorca, and the first half of it went all through the city, and there were bands, people everywhere, and it was amazing. And then the second half was basically along the Mediterranean Sea, and the first part of that was all along the road, and I was completely by myself. Uh, there were no runners around me. There were no spectators because it was on a road, and I was just completely dying because I had gone out too fast, and it was really demoralizing until I got <laughs> finally back to the boardwalk on the way back, and there were all the tourists by the beach who then were cheering and, um, you know, sort of 
uh, spurred me on to finish the race a little stronger than I thought I, I think I would have otherwise. So, how will you all remember Boston? I don't know if I have an answer to that right now. Um, I think I will remember it as this sort of amazing experience that you know once once this happened, once this tragedy happened, didn't seem to matter a whole lot anymore. Um, but I am still thankful to have, to have had that experience, and it, it will change the way I think I look back on it. But um, you know, I plan on going back again sometime soon. I think I, I have sort of com- uh, compartmentalized. You know, I had the the race. I visited some uh, friends while I was there. Went out to restaurants, did that kind of thing, and that was all. Um, and family and friends were there too, and that was all very fun. And uh, I'll remember that as being fun and having a good time. And the race uh, went pretty well for me too and then there was all the stuff uh after we, after it was being part of that you know uh being part of sort of a national tragedy and story and uh i don't know i i think somehow or another those are sort of a little bit two separate events in my in my mind but, go ahead if you want to join us on the program please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 you can join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. We do know there's a lot of news going on in Boston uh, today, and we'll keep you updated when we get uh, any kind of news breaks from, from NPR. We'll certainly let you know. But we're talking with uh, Leah Siegel and Chris Muir, who were in the Boston Marathon on Monday, and Scott Friedline, who's Emergency Services Coordinator for the Illinois Marathon, which is coming up. Uh, next weekend, Scott, I, you said that you've uh, you've been involved with lots of different kinds of events up there, correct? Correct. Yeah. So I, I know you said you know covering the twenty six miles of a marathon is particularly uh, difficult, but you know in the in the wake of what happened at Boston, does that just put you on a higher sense of alert for any kind of event that you have coming up? Of course. I mean, it's one of those things that you look at and you go, geez, you know, this, it, it does make us vulnerable. Anytime you put large groups of people together, um, you have to wonder. I mean, I've heard so many reports of the, the young men involved in this thing or the alleged suspects and, you know, their backgrounds and where they came from and, and those types of things. And, you know, it, it almost makes you look around and go, it could be anybody that, that for some reason gives one face on, on, on the day-to-day aspect but is so torn up inside that they want to act out in an appropriate way that, that puts all of us at harm. So it really does make you think more in the emergency planning realm of how to protect everybody there. Mm-hmm. And now we've we've heard and um, we've all reported on the fact that a lot of law enforcement people have said, you know, you just have to be our eyes and ears out there. And I know NPR had a uh, morning edition had a story this morning about all the the cell phone cameras and all the recording equipment that was out there that just individuals had that helped the the investigation. And I wanted you to sort of react to that. I mean, how important is it for people to help law enforcement to make sure that these kinds of things don't happen? Without a doubt, we could not be able to, you know, Boston would not be where it's at right now in terms of their investigation without that assistance. At the same time, it's kind of interesting because that's one of those dangerous items that you worry about, too, because it's not uncommon to have those being trigger mechanisms for explosive devices. So there's a balance again. And so our community, for example, we do use a lot of video cameras throughout uh, on our course, we're going to have cameras in more of the congested areas, which is normal for us. We have those up already uh, because of the university environment we have. So that will come in handy. And then, again, for people to simply step up, uh, you know, I'm sure there's always a fear that goes with, gee, if I report this, I'll get found out and maybe there will be some retribution. But that is so rare that, that most people, you know, there's no reason to really fear that at all. Um, you know, the more information we have, the quicker we solve these crimes, the stronger message it sends out to those wanting to do those types of activities that uh, it's not worth it. You're going to ultimately get caught, you know, and, and probably quicker than, than, than you expect. I want to talk about just runners as a group, certainly very determined, I say stubborn. Um, how have you seen just the, the community of runners respond, yourselves included, and... Uh, let's see. I uh, participate in a running group here in Bloomington, the Bloomington Area Runners Association, or LARA, that runs out of the uh, Indiana Running Company. Um, and those people, I, I haven't gotten to meet a lot, with a lot of them in person since coming back from Boston, but they've just been really, uh, you know, first worried. And then, I mean, before the race, they were so excited and getting me pumped up for the race and congratulating me on the 
finish, you know, immediately and then worried about, you know, safety and where we were and then, um, and then you know, just being really supportive of everyone there, the victims, um, and then, you know, us making sure we were okay. So uh, I'm sure many communities would be similar, but I've just had a great experience with the running community here in, in Bloomington and the support they've provided. Yeah, I think runners are stubborn, um, and and I think that's that's true here too. And I think it's it's a good stubbornness, though. I have some of my teammates from college who, before I ran, it was their goal to run day one, the run the Boston Marathon, and that's still their goal. And I and I think they they will still do that. Where did each of you run your qual? Or where did you qualify? When did you qualify for the race? Uh, the Indianapolis Monumental Marathon. Mm-hmm. Same year. Same year. Okay. All right. I um, wanted to, to go back to Scott. I'm not sure if you're going to be with us the whole program or not, but but uh, I wanted to, to ask you about this. When something like this happens, what, what sort of goes through the the law enforcement community, you know, and the first responders? You know, we, we had another terrible tragedy in Texas this week, which we're not going to talk about much today, but first responders were there and several um, may have lost their lives. Um, you know, when you see a tragedy like this and, and some kind of an event like this, what kind of effect does it have on people like you? Um, you know, it's one of those things that, that there is a bond similar to runners, and, and any time you have a common interest, you, you have that bond. And so I think when we lose one of ours, it's, it's a loss of one of ours. I mean, that's the way I look at it. Uh, um, you know, I know uh, MIT lost an officer uh, in the course of the shootout last night. Um, and I pulled it up and looked at his profile. It's a young kid. I feel really bad for him and his family. I mean, he came into a profession uh, with such noble thoughts and, and desires to help make our community safe, becomes a victim of what we are trying to prevent. And, um, you know, it, it hurts in some respects. And, and you always look at it and say, that could have been me, uh, just as easy as it was him, you know, totally caught off guard and, and ends up, you know, costing his life. But we do it because we love our communities and, and we want to make our communities safe and comfortable and a place for everybody to enjoy. So we're driven um, and, and uh, uh, willing to do whatever it takes to, to, again, make our communities wonderful places. Mm-hmm. And how many, how many volunteers – well, how many, how many officers and how many volunteers will you have uh, working with you uh, next weekend trying to make the Illinois Marathon as safe as it can be? Well, just in, in light of Boston, we typically would not release that kind of information. What I'll tell you is last year we had uh, about 70 police officers dedicated to the marathon. Um, we had about 50 medical responders, about 30 public works personnel who all assist in making the course, you know, be safe and, and secure and, and getting it set up for, you know, traffic issues and all the other things. Um, you know, that's where communities like ours, Champaign and, uh, you know, like Bloomington, you struggle a little bit more simply because of the fact that uh, you don't have the abundance of resources that a Boston would have or a Chicago would have or Indianapolis would have. So you have to really do more with less and, and make it very, very effective. And that's one of the skill sets that, that we've come to learn and, and, and to really apply in a case like this. And so when you have Boston occur, yeah, I, I can guarantee you we're going to have more resources and we're pulling in from other places. And, and it becomes, again, that bond of, of agencies saying, hey, this is something this community really needs and willingness to send their resources to assist us in making sure the event goes off smoothly. All right. Uh, we're talking with Scott Friedlein, the Emergency Services Coordinator for the Illinois Marathon. In our studio with us are Leah Siegel and Chris Muir, who both uh, ran in the Boston Marathon last Monday. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU with you by downloading our podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. 
Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with my co-host today, Sarah Whitmire, who's the bureau chief, news bureau chief of WFIU and WTIU. Today we're talking about the events of the week uh, that started on Monday with the Boston Marathon and are continuing uh, through all the the, uh, police activity going on in Boston right now. In the studio with us, we have two guests, uh, Leah Siegel, who's a law student at Indiana University, and she ran in the marathon on Monday. Also, Chris Muir, who's a graduate student at the IU, in the IU Biology Department. He, too, ran in the Boston Marathon on Monday. And Scott Friedline is Emergency Services Coordinator for the Illinois Marathon. He's joined us by telephone. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348. And you can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Sarah, anything new? Nothing new yet out of Boston. We have here on WFIU been taking special coverage from NPR coming out of Boston all morning. But what we know at this point is still two young brothers suspected in the marathon bombing, one of which uh, is dead after a shootout with police. The other brothers at large, police are doing a door-to-door search still in Watertown, and the entire city of Boston is on lockdown we are right now awaiting the start of a press briefing in Watertown, and we'll get you that information, of course, as it comes in. Okay. So, again, if you want to join us, 855-0811, and wfiu.org slash noon edition. So we were talking about the, the running community and how it's sort of a tight-knit group of people. It's probably, I mean, if you're going to run 26 miles, you need to have some support. Uh, I guess. I know uh, there's one event coming up in Bloomington on Sunday. Sue Aquila, who uh, owns Bloomington Bagel, is um, she ran the the uh, Boston Marathon a couple of years ago, and she's turned into a triathlete. But I know she's planning to, I think, run a marathon, and then her last mile will finish at uh, 2.50 at the IU Football Stadium, and she's invited everybody to come out and run that last mile with her uh, on sun- Sunday afternoon, I believe. Have you all seen that reaction just across the country in terms of people instead of I guess the reaction being you know what let's let's not run this is really scary instead people saying well let's get out and run and show we're not going to be scared yeah definitely I know um, some of my friends they usually get together Monday night to run anyways and a lot of them said that it was really important for them to to have that event that night and uh, be together even though the bombing had just happened. So definitely, I think that's been a common reaction. Yeah, I haven't done a whole lot of running this week. I'm kind <laughs> of in not? recovery mode. <laughs> um, but I, my sense is, you know, people aren't necessarily associating this tragedy with running as much as they are the the getting together of big groups. Um, and sort of, you know, I, I'm 25. So I've, I, I've been receiving that message, I feel like growing up with Columbine, you know, you're not nece- you're not safe at school, you're not safe, you know, going to work mm-hmm. in New York. You're not safe going to see a movie in Colorado, and you're not safe running the Boston Marathon. So I don't know if it's necessarily connected to running as much as it is just these unpredictable tragedies. And, you know, on my mind is, is you know, the Derby coming up and um, the Indianapolis 500 that we'll have next month. Um, to me, those are, those are more connected to this than, than I think of running generally. Mm-hmm. What you're saying ties into, I don't know if you've been following any of the reporting this week that The New Yorker has been doing, but they did this piece just on the meaning of the marathon. I want to read just this short little bit. But it said, there's something particularly devastating about an attack on a marathon. It's an epic event in which men and women appear almost superhuman. The winning men run for hours at a pace even normal fit people can only hold in a sprint. But it's also so ordinary. It's not held in a stadium or on a track. It's held in the same streets everyone drives on and walks down. Oh, yeah. I think that's the difference, maybe. Yeah. Okay. We have a couple phone calls, so we're going to go to that next. Uh, we have Tim from Bloomington. Tim? Well, how are you all? Hey, good. Uh, what concerns me about all this discussion, what's going on, is that it just seems to lead to an increase in fear in our population, and especially fear of certain groups. Uh, when I first got on and uh, heard your radio coverage over my phone, that someone was talking about 
you know, not being scared. But a lot of this extra security just provokes in us the the climate of fear. Uh, with my students at Ivy Tech, I encourage them to go to the uh, mosque in Bloomington to learn about Islam. And, in fact, I'm going there this afternoon because I know in the Islamic community nationwide, there's a great fear that if these uh, suspects, which we don't know now uh, entirely very much about them, but, you know, if they turn out to be Muslim, then there'll be another wave of anti-Islamic sentiment. And I think that doesn't bode well for us. Whenever I go to the Indianapolis airport and I see all this wonderful, wonderful security and, oh, this is such an easy airport to get through for, but it's because we're afraid, and that is not good for us. To be afraid of a particular group or to be afraid to go out, that's what I decry in this whole uh, situation. And, um, you know, when you have a lot of police out for the little uh, 400, yeah, I guess it's to make the students afraid, but I wish they would act out of more positive uh, uh, wishes and values. All right, Tim. Thanks for your comments. Thank Appreciate you. it. All right. Uh, that's little 500 is this weekend, and I know we we did a story about uh, some security changes they have for that even. Yeah, I think so. it gets back to what Leah was saying, just all these events reacting by having more security. Yes. Nobody wants to be the next. I mean, the Indianapolis Mini Marathon will be coming up, and there are 30,000, 35,000 runners in that. Isn't it 40? About 40? I think it's the largest in the country, isn't it? Yeah, it is the largest. All right, we have Bob Branch on the phone. Bob? Uh, Yeah, Mr. Zaltzberg. Yes, sir. Um, I I was wanting to uh, discuss the reaction around the country of uh, the bombings and uh, what have you. And uh, this morning when I opened up the editorial page, uh, I got so angry that uh, I can still chew nails. I'm a life member of the National Rifle Association, as is my uh, daughter and my dad and my brother, brother-in-law, and several of my friends. And I don't like being associated with terrorism. Uh, your editorial cartoon in which uh, Joel Pett uh, shows uh, NRA-issued uh, running uh, gear, uh, including a backpack bomb, uh, I think it was uh, really uncalled for and uh, is, is an incredible insult a member and the membership of uh, the country. You know, let me let me stop you right there. You know, I'm I'm not going to debate the editorial cartoon on Noon Edition. If you want to call me at my office, I'll talk to you. All right. Thanks a lot for the call. Eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. You can also join the live chat at wfiu dot org slash Noon Edition. Let's talk about what races are next for you all. Are you have you even thought that far ahead at this point? Uh, a little bit. I I don't know what's next sort of on my main goals, but I'm actually being a little bit uh, crazy. My fiance signed up for the Carmel Marathon this uh, Saturday, tomorrow, and so I decided the last second to sign up to pace with her. So, wow. <laughs> uh, it will be a little bit slower than I normally go, but uh, I don't know. It's a personal experiment, I guess, to see what's happening. But as for when my next, you know, big race is, I, I don't know. I don't have any plans at the moment. Good for you, Chris. Um, I guess so. <laughs> I, I affirmatively do not have plans at the moment. I, um, you know, this was a tough winter, and it was it was hard to get out a whole lot um, with the snow continuing through March. So I felt a little discouraged, and of course, I'm now re-energized after after having run in Boston. Um, so I do plan to probably do a, a fall one, likely Indianapolis, but um, no other specific plans. I think that speaks to the stubbornness of marathon marathoners. <laughs> Uh, or, yeah, some other aspect maybe, too. <laughs> right. I, I want to I go back to, to this whole idea. Um, you know, again, Leah, you mentioned that, that you know, your generation has grown up with a lot of different uh, tragedies, and this is just one, one more of them. I mean, I want – if you could sort of help us with, you know, insights from 25-year-olds and 28-year-olds and whatever about – you know about whether there's fear out there of of doing things or whether it's just you know we're going to keep living our lives and then if these things happen they happen yeah i think you know this one was particularly salient for me because 9/11 happened when i was a freshman in high school so i i think i still thought that i was invincible then um and this one being a little bit older and of course being in the city definitely had had a very different impact on me um 
In terms of fear, I, I do think it's it's different growing up having these events than I think in, in other generations. And I think the fear is strongest immediately after it happens. And I think that those feelings, you sort of tend to forget um, how strong that they were. Um, but I think when we really reflect on what all you can do to prevent something like this happen, there really is only so much. Um, and, and I think you do really need to go on and live your life. So uh, I feel confident that that will happen. And I don't think that this will inhibit me from going to things like the 500. But it does give me second thoughts. Right. Chris? I think especially younger people, we tend to be a little bit uh, a little bit myopic. That, or, I don't know if that's the right word. But if you go back and read history uh Events like this have happened all the time, forever, and we kind of just think that our generation's special because we don't know about stuff that's happened in the past, and that the general trend in the U.S. and globally has actually been um, that the world is becoming an ever safer place. And so, while we are not at 100 um, percent safety, and we never will be, it does ease my fears a little bit to know that we're, despite you know having been close to this particular incident, I am probably living in the safest time and place of, you know, and safer time and place than almost any human ever has ever lived in. So um, take some comfort from a sort of broader view of, of history. You know, NPR's Peter Sagal ran in the Boston Marathon and filed a lot of stories for the network. And only later, I think after he was home, said, oh, my gosh, what happened today? It, it, he didn't even process it. Did you, did you two have a similar sort of moment where you realized, wow, I was just part of something really terrifying. Absolutely. I know I did. Um, I flew home on Tuesday and, you know, I'm laying in safely in my bed at home on Tuesday evening. And I think that's when it really hit me that, you know, how thankful I am to be safe and that my friends and family weren't there in that moment as well. So it's it's definitely a a feeling I've, I've never experienced quite before. I think immediately as soon as I saw the helicopter views from the TV when we walked into the bar and of the finish line, you know, with the crowds dispersed and people injured and all the smoke, uh, that I had been there just an hour earlier. That was pretty – that hit home pretty hard for me that, you know, it was not unrealistic that I could have gone back to spectate at the end and watch people and been there and, um, you know, felt very bad for the people who were hurt by it, but – and at a personal level, fortunate that uh, I'd missed it despite being that, that close, sort of. I know that there were nine runners from uh, Bloomington, I believe, that were uh, registered out there. And one, all, all of you finished except one runner who was a half mile from the finish line when she finally had to, she had to stop. So she was close, too. I spoke to her husband right after it had happened, and... His voice is something I don't think I'll ever forget. Just the relief he had finally talked to her and was just unbelievably relieved. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to go to the phone. And uh, Donna from Bloomington. Donna? Hi. Um, I might have missed this in the coverage, but I wondered what role the um, bomb-sniffing dogs might have played, I, if they were in place and if they detected anything or if there was something in that bomb that prevented them from detecting it. We, Scott, are you still on? Yes, I am. Yeah, so can you take that one? Well, I, I think the issue there is the fact that the the person walked into the area, uh, as, at least as far as I'm picking up, with the device on him. So uh, unless the dog would have happened to be in a near area where he was walking and was actually being, you know, uh, working at that time trying to detect, uh, it, it was that's one of the problems with an event like this is, or any event uh, of this scale, is it's so easy to move in and out, and, and that's what that subject did was move in, drop it off, and then walk away from it. So um, it would not have been there for an extended period of time. so it wouldn't have been checked. Yeah, and I think this is uh, this goes back to some of the early speculation. And you know, we we talked uh, just amongst ourselves about some of the media failings and in, in all of this with all the you know the the quick media reports uh, on Twitter, Facebook, radio, web, newspaper websites, whatever. Um, some people were talking about how well they thought that they'd been put in trash cans, and I think that's that's where dog dog. Or, uh, bomb sniffing dogs might come in i would think that if you have trash cans lining the the route you can take a dog and sniff them but you still don't know when something might have been placed in there right 
I mean, any of these types of, of events you're going to have, for every football game we have, we send the dogs in before the event, but how easy is it for someone to carry something in that gets overlooked or, or looks totally normal because of the way it's concealed and, and then it enters into the, into the, into the environment that's there? Uh, without that detection. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to get your reaction. You know, Chris talked about feeling like he's living in the safest uh, environment he could possibly be in at the safest time. And, you know, you've been in law enforcement for quite a while and just wanted to know what you thought about that. Well, from a historical perspective, certain aspects of that I would truly agree with. I mean, uh, from a cop's perspective who's done the job for 26 years, going back to when I started my career, uh, I think for me as a police officer, it was much more dangerous earlier in my career. Uh, and as time has gone on, we've had increases in technology, uh, you know, things that we didn't have before in terms of communication and, and resources that, that uh, you know, we currently have now that we didn't have then. So in some respects, I would agree, but at the same time, I think there's other types of activities that that uh, influence our communities differently that um, can still create that level of fear and concern. And um, So it's kind of a, a mixed bag. I mean, I, I was glad to hear him feel that way. I think that's really important, and, and uh, um, I hope that that is, in fact, you know, our full belief throughout. Uh, but at the same time, we don't want to be in an environment where we become more lax to that uh, and relax our guard a little bit. And that's one of the things I do see, especially in college environments, that um, you know, students in particular that I've dealt with, they, they get out of one area, you know, for example, we get a lot of our students from Chicago. They come out of Chicago, come down to Champaign, well, it's, gee, it's little Champaign, shouldn't be any issues here. And then they put themselves in harm's way because they're not taking care of themselves. So I think that awareness is part of it, too, and, and our taking personal responsibility for some of the things that we're doing. Do you want to just let people know what's happening sure. in Boston right now? There was a press briefing just a few minutes ago, and the governor and the mayor of Boston reiterated that that same request that we've been hearing, that residents in Boston and surrounding communities even, even should continue to shelter in place, to stay in their homes there. Watertown's police chief says they need more time to investigate, just as that manhunt continues for a 19-year-old man suspected in the bombings at the Boston Marathon. All right, we have about 10 minutes to go in the program, so if you want to call us at 855 or 877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Uh, our guests today in the studio are Leah Siegel, who's uh, ran in the Boston Marathon on Monday. She's a law student at IU. Chris Muir, a graduate student at IU, who also ran, ran in, the, in the Boston Marathon. And Scott Friedlein, who is Emergency Services Coordinator for the Illinois Marathon that will be coming up uh, next weekend. And the Boston Marathon, I've heard it described many times now as a soft target. Um, Scott, I'm hoping you can explain more what that means. And, I mean, it certainly sounds like a bad thing, but what what we can do to, to, to not be a soft target. Um you know, I'm not 100% sure of how they're they're really meaning that. Uh, I would assume that a soft target under the circumstances they're describing would be something that is an opportunity, but it's not like a structure um, where a, a physical building would be the hard target where it's easy to go in and do something there. The soft target, there is more fluidity with the environment. They can, you know, do damage at different locations. It's a little harder to, to uh, probably manage from a security standpoint, uh, so it makes it a little bit easier for them to, to approach. I, that's kind of my interpretation. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to talk a, a little bit more about the, the mentality of a marathoner. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a lot older than you guys are, but I know when, when I was uh, growing up, uh, the thought of somebody wanting to run 26.2 miles was a pretty foreign concept. And this was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But now, I mean, you've got tens of thousands of people who have decided that they want to set this as a goal and train. I mean, what motivates you? What, what motivated you when you first decided, okay, I think, I can, I think I'm going to run a marathon? And Sarah, you can answer that too. I'll let these two go first. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll correct one number. I checked this yesterday. There were 500,000 uh, participants in the U.S. in the marathon last year. Mm-hmm. So it is, uh, you know, it's, it's a popular and then enough growing popularity. Uh, I was Personally, I made fun of marathoners in college, <laughs> so I guess I'm a bit of a hypocrite. But uh, I don't know what motivated me exactly. Mostly, I just always liked running longer distances. It's a lot more contemplative and um, and just better suited to my particular a- athleticism. And, 
you know, just got to grad school, was getting really fat and lazy and needed to change something in my life. And that just seemed like a goal to do. Uh, I wish I had a more inspiring story. And then once I got into it, I I really did enjoy it and then set my goals on um, trying to qualify for for Boston after that. But but let me ask you, I mean, when you when you started, I mean, you probably have been a runner, right? And what, 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 what did you usually run? I ran in high school, and there I did everything from one mile to 5K typically. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but 5K was the longest um, race in high school, which is about um, three miles. Three miles, yeah. So how did you go about building yourself up to be able to run that 26.2 miles? Um, just kept running longer more often. It, it was well-suited to me because, you know, as a, so I'm a scientist, and a lot of what I do is actually just thinking. And sometimes when I just want to go and think about something for a long time, I just go run for an hour or two hours and hopefully get a workout in and then also maybe make some progress on whatever ideas I'm Some new discovery. On. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's important to interject that Boston is not just a marathon. I think one of the things that really sets it apart is you have to prove you can run fast. This is for elite runners. And so you've, you've done more than just run 26.2 <laughs> right. miles. Thank you. <laughs> Leah? Yeah, so I was an 800 runner in high school and college. And um, so two laps around the track and then you're done. Um and I vividly remember saying in college that there was no bone in my body that had any desire to run 26 miles, um, which I actually got called out for last week um, mm-hmm. for <laughs> contradicting myself. Um, but after graduating in 2009, you know, I, always, I still identified as a runner. It was my sort of token hobby that I had outside of doing work. And um, the follow-up question I would ever get, I would always get was, well, have you ever done a marathon? And, of course, I'd say no, and then I'd feel like I wasn't a real runner. So um, it was just sort of one of those bucket list things, like, I have to do this so I can say that I've done it, and I'm only going to do one, and that will be the last one in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did in Indianapolis and just ended up really liking it. It's just this perfect mix of doing something incredibly hard um, but incredibly fulfilling as well. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's one of the things that maybe Sarah can address this. That's one of those things that – People who don't run those distances don't really understand. Like, how could that be fun? You know, how can you feel good about good when it's over? (laughs) I come from a family where they don't understand me and why I would ever want to run. Unless someone's chasing you, why would you run, right? Um, But I I ran because I actually broke my foot in some crazy injury and was told I would never be able to run again. And I thought, I'll show you. I will run again and I'll do a marathon. So – that's, I think, again, it's, it's just that mentality of mm-hmm. runners. I will say we are gushing about marathons now, but there is a point in every marathon where you really question why you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you cry. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the, in Boston, it's usually uh, referred to as Heartbreak Hill, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, how was that for each of you when you got there this year? Uh, not great. I, <laughs> I had gone out really faster than I probably should have and um, was slowing down pretty hard at that point. But my goal was just to uh, not kill myself up it, but not walk. And so I just I ran slowly and made it, and um, it was all downhill from there. So is, is it truly all downhill from there? More or less. Okay. <laughs> just checking on it. Yeah, I'm going to go with the less on that one. I had this thing. I just have to get past heartbreak. And, you know, so I put in my headphones for those four miles of the, the you know, the Newton Hills. And I crest the hill and I'm feeling like it's just going to be so easy. It wasn't that easy. But um, <laughs> but it was a really great feeling to get get over that. And the crowd's really cheering hard at that point. Yes. So, so when you when you looked at all the television coverage and, and online coverage um, of the bomb going off, and you know you saw that finish line where you had been an hour before. I mean, what what's what do you think? I mean, is that finish line is that more sort of ingrained into your mind now than other images of what you saw when during that race? Unfortunately, I mean. I don't know about you, Chris, but I've seen those videos so many times now. I mean, we were just glued to the TV in our hotel room for the hours after the race. So I think that's that's why it is such a strong image. Um, but I do have some really great memories along the course. But, of course, that's something that will stick with me forever. Yeah, the same. You know, I, I think I have some good memories of my own experience, but that what you saw on TV and everything is going to stick with me just as strongly, obviously. Mm-hmm. What was preparation like for something like Boston? Oh, 
probably not as good as it should have been. Um, <laughs> well, you're a law school student. Yes, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, actually, the, the most helpful thing was, was talking to people who had already done it and just really getting fired up for the event. Um, of course, you know, getting in a couple 20-mile runs is, is helpful, too. But um, there is a lot of preparation, but it's mostly enjoyable. Yeah, I was uh, I was trying to mostly have fun, so I wasn't really uh, preparing like I would for a race where I was trying to you know get a personal best. Um, so it was mostly just lots of running, but otherwise I try to do things uh, pretty much normally. As I said, the day before I was visiting friends, so I went out and you know had beers and did normal stuff. <laughs> Probably what you should not be doing the day before a race, but uh, I don't know. It worked out, I guess. <laughs> you got some carbohydrates, I guess. That's what I told you about. <laughs> carbo-loading, yeah. <laughs> Scott Friedline has been with us. He's uh, still on the phone with us, and I wanted to ask you, Scott, as we go into our last minute and a half here, um, if you, you know, from your perspective, again, would share some uh, tips for people who are going to be either running in a big marathon or just attending an event where there are going to be many, many people uh, what can they do to help uh, make make themselves safer and make your job easier? Well, it's interesting because we've trained people who are going to be along the course right now. We're just saying, you know, just be aware of your surroundings. Look for things that look out of place, that don't fit in. And before you jump to a conclusion to say, oh, this is a problem, ask around. If, you know, if you see a bag laying there that just doesn't appear to belong to anybody, ask, is this yours? Don't necessarily handle and if you have that concern then go ahead and, and, and call us but you know uh, far too often people overreact and that's what we're all trying to avoid doing because that's going to diminish the quality of the event for everybody and so it's you know just take a step back think about what you want to do what you're looking at and, and uh, how it you know it plays out in terms of the events and not to say don't call but if you you know ask around first that usually takes care of a lot of the problem all right thank you to Scott Friedline from uh, the emergency services coordinator for the Illinois Marathon. Sarah? And we want to give just another update here out of Boston before we wrap up noon edition. Just we hear police are continuing to go door to door in a neighborhood of a Boston suburb searching for that 19-year-old suspect in the Boston Marathon bombings. The police chief in Waterton told the press at a briefing just after 1230 that they've now canvassed more than 60 percent of a specific neighborhood. The Massachusetts governor has reiterated a request that residents of Boston and surrounding communities stay in their homes. And photos show the city of Boston is completely shut down with the subway shut down. And just minutes ago, Amtrak tweeted that all train services from New York to Boston are suspended indefinitely. NPR News is going to continue to stream special coverage of the investigation in Boston at NPR.org. All right. Thank you. And thank you to Leah Siegel and Chris Muir for being here with us. And to Scott, thanks again for, for joining us. For Sarah Whitmire, producers Gretchen Frazee, Emily Wright, Ellie Moxley, and Kyle Stokes was actually helping out today, too. And engineer Mike, Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.